0: Hey, it's me, Marquis. Did you know that we have a YouTube channel and it's the number one place on the platform for all things Asana? Inside, you'll find demos and tutorials that cover everything from getting started with Asana to how to's on how to utilize the more advanced business and enterprise features that power the workflows of hundreds of thousands of satisfied users around the world. Visit asanasolutions.com to subscribe, like, and follow along so you don't miss a thing. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark Murray. In Systems We Trust dives
1: into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems
0: and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis, I am your host, and today I'm speaking with Nicholas Hill. Nicholas co-founded My Conversation, where he helps ideal clients and partners choose their brand. Nicholas connects companies with informed buyers in the right place at the right time, staying, uh, starting warm conversations that turn into new business. Welcome to the show, Nicholas.
1: Hi, cheers. Thanks for having me, McKeith.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for joining at this hour. I know you're, you're across the pond in the UK, so appreciate you uh, staying up a bit later uh, in the <laughs> evening um, to, to to have this to have this chat. I'd love to start off with, you know, what's your story, Nicholas? You're you're running two businesses, or at one point you you were running actively two businesses. You have served to sell. And now you're you're more focused. I understand on my conversation. Uh, tell us, you know, kind of the journey that led you to this point today. Awesome, yeah.
1: So systems and process is going to be a big part of the conversation today. Um, big part of my background, and um, that starts way back um, in my first job. Actually, when I left school, um, I went. In, I ended up sort of going into local government. Uh, and then what? How you'd phrase it in uh, Canada, but it's over here. It's local government um, tax. <laughs> um, tax is what I started yep. out in. So I went. I started out in tax. Went went into sort of uh, lots of different elements of public sector work. And and in the public sector, as you can imagine, policies, procedures, processes, and systems is what it's all about. And I think I like that because I'm I'm definitely on that side of the of the curve in terms of personality type i'm let I, I, I like to think i can be creative but i'm better off implementing and sticking to a list of activities if that makes sense with my other my my business partner right now he's definitely more left side of the brain creative and we kind of work well together so that's yeah. that's kind of the background so worked in local for the years kind of had this desire to get into you know the real world let's call it so my feet in sales and in sales i kind of stayed on the path of of things that are more technical and more process driven so engineering was one of the things i focused on in the sales career um precision engineering so again even though you're selling it's lots of conversations technical conversations and it's all process driven in that environment right in in automotive engineering aerospace etc then i got into software sales again very much about process and then ironically while i was in sales the things i used to really enjoy um as well as obviously having conversations with people like yourself today was ultimately finding a really good process to, to move the needle in whatever role i was in you know how can i use processes and systems to my advantage to make life easier to save time to ultimately get the result um and it, I don't know if it's a bit laziness, but I found that it, it definitely helped me a lot, having to do a lot less graft in sales, having very good systems and processes in place. So maybe maybe I could have rebranded as a lazy salesperson. Maybe that would have been a good brand for me personally. But I definitely found that systems and processes have helped me work smarter uh, instead of harder, let's say. So that's kind of what led me to doing what I do now, which is uh, the last sort of five, six years I've been doing consultancy, in sales process, using that experience to help agencies, service businesses, tech businesses, um, you know, improve their sales process using not just technology, but just having the right framework, having the right customer journey. It's and I think people can get confused with processes to be all about tech, but it's not right. It's not all about technology. It's also about methods and frameworks and and guides and checklists. And I think I'm, I'm all over that as well. So that was that was up until right now my conversation about 3 years ago we realized there was a big problem in sales in B2B sales and the big problem was that there was this online shift that we've all experienced in B2B sales in the way that people want to be reached out to and how they want to have sales conversations and ultimately you'll never change the human elements to that that's the most important part of any sales process is the human bits but the online side of that has, I think, been a big challenge for lots of brands um, in that space in how do we move across. And what we've developed is, in my conversation, is technology, expertise, expertise, and processes around how to effectively start conversations with prospects or ideal clients, ideal partners in some instances that don't know the brand that we're trying to help.
0: Right on. Um, earlier, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know, you, you were saying that you should rebrand to this, you know, lazy salesperson. I don't think it's lazy. And, and you hit the nail on the head. It's working smarter, not harder and improving processes. Um, I, I want to touch on a point that you, you just made though, Nicholas, you said, you know, that you're helping, you um, your, your clients, you know, better understand how their prospects want to be reached out to now, you know, you're in sales, you got a, you know, extensive background in sales. I do sales for, for my agency or my consultancy, and I receive sales outreach all the time. If it's a, I I rarely pick up my phone. So if I'm getting a sales call, I don't get it till I hear the voice message, but I'm getting a lot of um, either LinkedIn in mails or I'm getting um, direct um, like outbound cold emails coming into my inbox. And uh, the second that I see, Hey, I know you're really busy. Hey, I got like, I- I'm, I'm tuned out already. Yeah. I delete them right away. Yeah. So h- how do you gear up your customers to, you know, better frame their emails and it- it's not all of them. There's the odd timer, there's a clever opener and I'm Michael like, okay, will okay, keep reading. Uh, I'm yeah. curious how you, how you frame this for your customers and what that really looks like in, in your business.
1: So, I mean, for us, there's a process that we go through with clients to get to that point that you just mentioned where they, where ultimately what we're trying to achieve is, and I think you'd be the same, anyone's the same in this situation, is how do we authentically cut through the noise with, with, with starting those conversations? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? And the simple answer is it's content. Yeah. It is content. We know that. You know, you're, you're, in, you're in a marketing yeah. agency you've done you've done that we know it's about content but content depends in a cold email is different to the content in a blog post or the content in a and and the way that's perceived and the way that's engaged with is different as well so when we dig into content we need to understand and we have a process for doing this who that person is who's sitting on the other side of that inbox who's sitting there what's the recipient? What, what's going on with them so there's a bit of marketing work actually goes into that but it's it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a sort of um, uh, a quick kind of whistle stop tour through marketing 101 with clients. We're not a marketing agency so we're, we're just trying to dig out in our onboarding process okay. the key elements of their avatar what's going on, what's the problems, what the challenges, what the pain points, what keeps them up at night, what language should we use. And, and what we're doing is we're developing something that's all about them. You know, that's the best way to get someone's attention. You, you see all this stuff all the time, right? We see too. I get these emails every day, like like way you do. And I get cold calls and lots of LinkedIn messages. Yeah. And, and that's part of the problem because it's all very similar. And it's how do we cut through all that noise because we, we're getting sort of saturated with it, aren't we? So content is the key. It's yeah. part of our onboarding process with clients. That's the first thing we look at. We don't look at technology or data or anything like that, it's it's avatar focus, first of all. And then from there we can do all the tactical stuff, use the technology to personalize, introduce data to, you know, add layers of personalization, even AI in some instances. But I tell you what thing that I know that our clients, prospects or potential partners that speak to them following our campaign say is it was always a piece of content that was about them or about the topic or something relevant or specific that got the conversation started. And then we're able to use our technology to then understand how that's performing to then do more of the same and optimize that process ongoing.
0: Amazing. And you also mentioned that, um, you know, process optimization is not just about the tools I love tools. I love testing them out. I love trying them. I've got my stack. I'm curious, like what, if it's not all about that, what does your process look like? Do you have any methodologies or frameworks that you follow and implement for your customers that, you know, make the difference and, you know, close that gap where a lot of owners may think, put another tool behind it, (laughs) automate it, you know? Yeah. Let's talk more about that
1: behind the technology we're just layered with sops ultimately we're we're an age we we're in a managed service so um so just to sort of like go into the deep not with go into detail too much but we have two sides of the business one side we manage the service that we provide for big brands uh, and and lots of different types of brands but then we also have a service where we work with agencies uh, as a you know a white label solution so there's two sides to that business but specifically well, they're both layered with sops but it's, Especially on the the managed service side, as you can imagine, uh, running an agency, you you know that's really important. So, And because we're an efficient subscription model service and because it's lead gen, right, Mm -hmm. we need to have lots of really good process in place because what we cannot afford is within our margins of our services to be doing lots of things manually or having to figure things out. So from the the get-go, everything we do has been premeditated as a guide. There's a checklist. There's a there's a there's a form. So from onboarding all the way through to campaign live and running and optimizing, there's there's a template for what email we need to send at any given time. There's a spreadsheet to fill in. There's a form. There's a survey. So from you know from the first call, that's that's all document. And like you said, it's not all technology. Some of that is just using documents. um, But we've got them all organized in folders. You know, so we know at each step which part of that, which document to pick up on for each, for each part of the process.
0: Okay. And, and when you come in and you're, you're, you're starting your, your engagements, you're doing your review, um, you're, you're ready to roll out the methodology. You've got the SOPs and the templates and I love how you've organized them as well, right? Like, I think that is so, so key in any, any business. What are some of the, the most common or, or biggest mistakes that you see? And then if we can get a bit more specific, you know, to those problems, how do you then come in and solve solve them?
1: So, are we talking about problems from a, from our perspective in a, within our process? Or are we talking more about clients that we're working with and their
0: problems? These would be these would be problems that you see in your clients. Like, what are you coming in? What are okay. the the commonalities across the board from your your different engagements? And then, how are we approaching to to fix these these problems or or the mistakes that these owners are making?
1: Yeah, I think so we we I think the, the first thing is when we started in my conversation we didn't know what we know now right and you, I hope you resonate with that what of we course. know now what we've documented now it comes from all of those learnings <laughs> of running the process and oh actually we didn't factor this would happen or we didn't realize this would happen and and so I think we we're touching then on like operational efficiencies aren't we you know um you know, just keep continuing to continue to optimize over time. And I think that's kind of like an engineering methodology, isn't it? You know, we to make things, you know, Ferrari to be the all-time best F1 team, they didn't do that just from a coincidence. It's it's happened over a number of years, you know, over many, many years of efficiencies yeah. and, and operational efficiency. So yeah, for us, we're only a couple of years old, but yeah. what we've done in that quick time is we've listened to clients, we've listened to what They want. We've taken feedback on board. We've been open to it. And at any time, anything's happened where there's been a problem and mistakes been made uh, from our side, or we've not realised something, we've not factored in something. We've we've got this kind of culture. I definitely want to instil the culture in the business, which is we're transparent, we're open uh, to change, and and when we we learn from things and we document it. There's a great book that I've kind of got on the bookshelf. I've not got many books, but Principles by Ray Dalio is a fantastic book about that particular piece. Yeah, so that's something yeah. that I like to really want to make sure we've got embedded in the business. So in terms of the practicality of that, you know, we've had we've had all sorts of things happen where we've had situations where we've brought in clients, started to run campaigns, realised actually, you know, halfway through the kind of process, it, or going into a campaign and going live with outreach and, and starting to send out emails, we've actually realised that this isn't working and then it's then it's then it's time to understand well why why is this not working? And we can always pin it back to the core fundamentals when we that we've now made sure we really focus on in our onboarding process. So the targeting may have been out, we might not be reaching out to the right person. So let's let's do a better job of making our targeting sheets more explicit and so and making sure we can incorporate what the client is asking for, but also it gives us opportunity to go in and use our expertise at the same time. So it's not purely dependent on them because they might make a mistake, but we can, but it's not ultimately not fully dependent on us either. So there's a collaboration and how do we reflect that in our documents, in our process? So that's the kind of, some of the things that we've Um, gone through. Yeah.
0: That's that's great. Yeah, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit because I still want to understand what are those common things that you see in your customers' businesses. So you're coming in, you're doing your audit, your assessment. You know, when it comes to conversations, I mean, you talked about content. Is it that they're, you know, sending too many emails? Are they, ah, are they too okay. frequent Emails. Yeah. Are are, there, are they you know generating content and lead opportunities and you know um and like PDF lead magnets and they're not following up on their leads. Like, what are the biggest things that you see that are either holding your customers back, you know, yeah. and they're reaching out to you for that reason, um, or the biggest opportunities for improvement that you see in your ideal customers' businesses?
1: Great. Okay. Yeah. No. Thanks for that. Yeah. I appreciate what what you're asking there. Um. So. So there's a few things you've already mentioned. Follow up, you know, that's really critical. And actually, most of our campaigns, the most effective parts of the sequence are the follow up. It's never normally an initial email that gets the conversation started. It's normally the second, third, fourth. So it's n- but on the flip side, it's knowing when to start that sequence because if that carries on, you're going to really annoy people. So there's a the balancing act there between, and that's something yeah. that our clients don't understand. The only reason we're able to tell them what works is because we've run so many campaigns across so many different industries that we've got all the data to show them, actually, it's not just my opinion here. The reason this works well, the reason this subject line works so well, the reason this particular piece of content will work well in this structure is because we've got data to back it up. Um, So, yeah, follow-ups is something that I think in in the sales world, ABM is this big thing right now, isn't it? You know, ABM is... And I'm a big fan of ABM, you know, taking the time to personalize and and humanize the the process. The challenge with ABM, especially for smaller brands, is that the follow-up becomes a real mountain once you start to get into it, you know, when you're trying to do that properly. So for us, we're not trying to take over the human parts. And so it's, again, educating our clients around that. The, The fact is that, you know, what we're starting is a conversation, and we're really good at starting that. And then from there... It's it's down to you, and we can help you on that. bit. But there's there's a the lack of education, I think, in what starts those conversations in the right way. Then there's the I think the other things is around perception, perception of content. You know what what like you just mentioned, Owen, in, in the uh, around well, we see so many different types of emails and so many different types of tactics, and some of it's gimmicky and clickbaity, and it's around okay, some of this stuff's important because some of it we've got the data to show that it actually works but it's about balancing that out with too much of that you're going to end up getting that kind of bad reputation and we've got some you know big brand clients that we need to maintain reputation for so i think i think content is is something that they often don't realize how important that is and then there's this kind of mistake of actually starting to put um too much content into their um Outreach, and that's also, I think, a big mistake because we also know from data that cold email—it's less is more, and it's about how you package it up, you know, how you use content without overdoing it.
0: Right. Yeah, I know from your your website. I think you guys have a stat that says um, that cold outreach has increased by seventy nine percent since the start of twenty twenty. Right. Yeah. Like, I think people. You know, suddenly like they don't have the ability to travel and to go see people or, you know, um, go to networking events. And so they're, they're, they're resorting to, to other ways to connect with these people. So I thought exactly. that was an interesting stat. Yeah, uh, there, yeah. Th- th- there is a school of thought that, you know, thinks that if you're at a certain level of business and I'd love to know a bit more about who your ideal client is and maybe that will Better answer this question, but you know when when's the right time for a business to um, to expand their their sales departments um, again? And that school of thought is that you know if you're the CEO of a business and you know you're under two years, let's say you should be doing all the sales. But you know, not all leaders in the C suite are good at sales. They're not relationship people. They don't mm. conversation doesn't come naturally to them, and so. Um, what's that threshold as far as time or team size when you should maybe bring in an SDr and if you're if you're pre all of that you know how are you training these these potential people who are in these leadership roles who aren't naturally people people
1: yeah, that's a really good question i think to answer the first part of that question is very much down to a couple of i think it's measuring the the effectiveness of that product market fit that you know for a smaller company they need to establish product market fit for the sales process and see that the conversion is there in line with where they need, where they're looking to grow if they can see that even on a small small scale and there's and there's and there's and there's margin in what they're doing and there's profit then that's the time to scale up that's the time when you know that actually just doing this we've got the processes in place now we know what to say. We know how to move these conversations forward. We know when to source leads from. We know how to you know, we know what our customer journey is. At that point, and that's been delivered in the results. We can see that in the data, in the KPIs, in the sales metrics. At that point, whatever size you're at, that's the time to expand because unless you if you try to expand, and you don't have all that, it could go badly wrong. If you're trying to
0: yeah,
1: if you're trying to do that before you've got um, to too soon, then you may miss, again, miss the opportunity to really under, better understand your customers and what and what's making it really easy and efficient for them to buy your products and services. So that's something that we talk about a lot in my conversation. Like we, A good sales process helps inform buyers efficiently choose your products and services. Um, that doesn't always mean you need a, a long, drawn-out approach, but what we do need to establish in any new kind of sales process is product market fit now ironically the best way to get product market fit is normally to get out there and start having those conversations right because once you do you start to learn more about your customer and what's going on in their world and and i think that's the way that it should be rather than trying to force a product where it's not needed or where it's not relevant it's got to be tailored around your customers and to a certain degree you know um, so, yeah, so I think what we've done with working with startups, we've actually been able to use our processes to help them get those conversations started, and that's been really useful. Not just in, oh, you know, cold sales. let's get some sales on the board, but actually, you know, we're learning some things here. We're talking to the right people now, and actually talking to them has given us more insights.
0: Okay.
1: Second and, part. And how sorry. long
0: these engagements Brian? Oh, yeah, 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 please.
1: Yeah, sorry, I just realized, second part. So. So then, the other on the flip side of that, it was teaching people how to um, how to get better at sales. And I think the answer to that is not everyone not everyone is and needs to be like you know effective at sales. But I think what what I'd be looking at in in regards to the growing a sales team is profiling. I'm a big fan of that. So profiling people, and making sure we understand their strengths and weaknesses. You know, disprofile, MBTI, whatever it is that. You, you're familiar with, or whoever the, whoever's listening, whoever's familiar with those kinds of personality profiling. I think it's really important to understand the people involved in the business, where their where their strengths are, and whether that leads to sales or not. And not trying to force somebody into something that they're not, because it's never going to be come across as very authentic, and and you're going to face a lot of resistance with that. Um, there are ways, I think, with good frameworks and good guides, you can people who aren't necessarily extrovert i know lots of people who are naturally introverted who are really good at sales so i'm not suggesting that just because you're not like a people person doesn't mean you can't be good at sales but i think there's got to be this natural inclination in the personality there's got to be some drive and there's got to be some interest uh in what they're doing and who they're talking to and they need to be able to listen and, and move that conversation along yeah
0: One thing that all Asana users from beginners to expert have in common is that it doesn't seem to matter how long you've been using Asana for. We all realize that there are aspects of Asana we just don't get. Maybe you're new to Asana and know nothing about it. Welcome, or maybe you're a long time user but haven't explored the powerful features that Asana has to offer. Well, this is also for you. We've created what we're calling Asana Mastery. ASM for short, an exclusive membership to help you get the most out of your Asana investment. We want to help take your Asana expertise to the next level by demonstrating how the powerful set of features in Asana can be used to standardize and automate your projects and tasks. Visit asanamasterycourse.com and click register to get started today. Class starts soon. We can't wait to see you inside. It's good, yeah. Just on, on on the introverted part. I mean, that is absolutely me, right? I I am the number one salesperson in, in the company, and you know, I love the process. I love meeting new people. Um, I, I'm a I'm a communicator, and I, I love getting on stage. I, I love networking events, but they drain me. And and if I could just like. Yeah give all of that over to someone else and just release it. I would, I would so love that, but I would miss out on so many of the things that actually I enjoy about the process. So I I love that, you know, and finding that fit, but also not forcing people into it. Um, You have, um, you know, these three core issues that you identify. There's the time systems and the mindset. I think we're talking a little bit about mindset. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, systems as well, I'm curious yeah. to know how how the third here time f- fits into this, and then I'd love to talk about these SOPs as well after that. But could you touch on on this time and how this fits in as one of the of one of the core issues that you're seeing?
1: Time, yeah, I think so. As I mentioned, we we have these these new kind of um, this current uh, hype around sort of running ABM style. Um, sales campaigns, where you know we, you know, there's a lot of time being spent researching um, brands, researching contacts, who are we trying to meet, who we trying to reach out to, and then looking at the individuals and seeing how hey, can we personalize what we're doing to make it more effective. And I think we have to remember that some of the companies that are talking about this, and some of the thought leaders on these subjects, they're in an environment where they're working at enterprise level. Let's say so, at an enterprise level that is the requirement, you know, they're not necessarily it's not a volumized approach at that point. It's the volumized the volumeized pieces in the in the attempts to get those conversations moving. It's not necessarily they're reaching out to hundreds of people every day. They're focused on very small uh numbers of, of potential brands and contacts. So for them it's all about ABM. It's all about taking the time to personalize, taking the time to do things that, that you or I might not have the time to do to get those conversations started so that becomes from from my perspective clearly as a small business owner and and working with lots of small businesses that's a big challenge for founders of agencies that's a big challenge for tech startups because they just don't have the time to sit there for six hours a day coming up with content researching putting personalization in into their into their messages so they need something that can kind of bridge that gap so from my conversation perspective, what we've tried to do is help balance out the, you know, the human bits that they really need to be focused on with the scale and efficiency that's delivered by technology. And I think there's, there's a place for those things to play together. Sure. But you need to focus that earlier on in the, in, the pro, in your sales process, not later down the line. I think it doesn't work later down the line. That's where it's getting a bad rep, right? When it's later down the line and people are using automation, to try and move sales conversations along where you need a conversation. From from my perspective, where that stuff's really useful is cutting through the noise when, you need, when you've got a big chunk of people you need to try and get the attention of. That's where what we do works really well. It wouldn't work well in an ABM environment where we, we're trying to talk to 20 brands, three contacts at each brand. A cold email campaign is not sure. the right way to do it, right? It's a much more personalized approach. So time is... Time's about where you're at, what what kind of company you work in, and what what sort of what's the goal? Are you chasing a million dollar deal? Well, yeah, ABM, all day. Take the time. Are you are you selling products that are subscription based and it's all about MRR? Well, maybe there needs to be some level of consideration of time in that respect.
0: I love that you said that great answer. Like there's no one size fits all solution, right? Thinking about the human first and then thinking about how the tech can, you know, play a yeah. role in, yeah. in, in that process. Um so on the the SOP side, I mean, you're, you're coming in, you have your templates, you have your SOPs, and you understand the standards of what it takes to deliver, you know, or, or reshape and change the mindset of these organizations from a sales perspective. Um, what do your engagements look like? Are you coming in and you're with them for six months, a year? Are you teaching them how to develop their own SOPs that are customized to their team? Or are you leaving yours with them and, you know, taking them through your program and then, you know, bidding them farewell. I'm just curious, you know, how this real mind shift takes mm. place, and what that leave behind uh, looks like in the process as well.
1: That's that's a really good question. I think so. From our perspective, with every client, there's ultimately got to be an onboarding and an offboarding process, hasn't there? Because as much as we'd yes. love to say that every client we have works with for forever, that's just not the reality. And actually. If we're doing a really good job, especially with startups and uh, high growth scale-ups, then at, at some point, there will be an offboarding because we'll have achieved uh, the goal that we, we set out to achieve for them, which was to get these conversations yeah. moving to a point where they could do things themselves. So we're outsourcing some of that, aren't we? So it's not going to be a long-term thing. However, really interestingly, with our ideal clients, and I know we're going to go into that, but... One of our ideal clients are partnership teams of big brands, like retail brands, you know, B2C. And partnership teams are really interesting because they operate like we do. They're B2B. (laughs) They're trying to get partnerships started with other brands. So it's all B2B outreach. It's all B2B kind of um, sales, let's call it. And so for for them, and I think they suffer with the same problems as like startups, founders, smaller agencies, for example. They're a small team in a big company. They have to act very entrepreneurially in in the way that they behave. Um, They don't have, a lot of them don't have like a CRM to use or uh, any technology around what they're doing. They're not familiar with sales technology either. They're just more about relationships. That's why they're in partnerships. That's what they're good at. So for us, we do have to be mindful of that. So we use very basic kind of project management stuff for them. We're not we're not trying to overcomplicate what we do because ultimately it would be just overwhelm for them. So everything's very basic, like basic spreadsheets, basic document by design, by intention, because we know they're not they're not gonna get on with using anything that's too sort of like project management specific, let's let's put it that way. So it's all very uh basic stuff. What we do tend to drive our clients to is our software because that's been designed with them in mind. So in our software we have dashboards. We have tools where they can look at the data of the campaigns and easily see how effective things are and gives them an understanding of where they want to optimise. They have control over optimization within this within this process. And I think that's really important. they not they don't feel like it's a black box, they can't see what's going on. They use and they're using the software in their own way. We might be behind the scenes pulling the levers and you know putting some fuel in 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 the tank but they're on the other side of it looking at the you know looking at the screen and saying okay this is what i can we can see what's going we can see what's working here and also what's not working so they they get information and insights so i think uh, in terms of what they get working with is they get some you know education around basic project management you know we've taken through a, a process of yeah, we're putting all this together. They get access to all the folders. They can go in, and we can collaborate on where we need information. Is that all that's there for them? Very simplified. But then the rest of it's all focused on the outreach, and that's where our software really helps us to simplify for them. And then with offboard, obviously, we're able to provide all that information in reports and handing over data and information. So it's really slick offboarding as well.
0: Right. I, I I really like that. So it sounds like you're focused on education, then, and like including them in the process, having them, you know, yeah. start thinking about what this can look like, so that they can, you know, make you know more informed decisions in the future. Is is that more or less yeah, the approach think, you're taking? Yeah, I think that we
1: had a we had a we had one client who was uh, we worked with the global partnerships director, and within the time that we worked with him. He was working for, we worked with this client for quite a few years, actually. So we, we, we've been with them for quite some time, considering we're, we're still quite a young company. So um, within that time, we educated him and the team, not just on what we do, but on just, you know, the whole process of starting partnerships and starting those partnership conversations and how to do that. And ironically, he then moved on to Pastures New as a consultant. And now <laughs> he's out there talking about the stuff that we showed him to start with. And then great for us, then when the conversations do come up with his clients, we, we're getting referrals because he's, he's, he's really speaking about the whole topic now. He's become sort of a champion of, of cold outreach for partnership development and partnership growth. So he's, he's talking about that. And then clearly, you know, he, he's, he's then bringing us in more opportunity so we really educated him from where he was which was like a partnerships director no real understanding of lead gen no understanding of data content messaging all that kind of stuff and now he's kind of like an evangelist and i think that comes from the the process
0: okay very interesting um a, a lot of this you know conversation is making me think about um something i mean y- you wrote on your blog um, the title here is it 2022, the death of B2B marketing. And it goes on to say in a nutshell, it's time for B2B to think big about how to engage actually properly, uh, engage people online on it. I like, I think we're talking about that this whole time, the need to put people first, um, in, in any equation, have those relationships. And I had a guest on my show, um, and I've been on his show a couple of times, sit the, the sales schema podcast. Yeah. Um, but Dan Englater, he he's the the host. Are you familiar with Dan?
1: I've heard of the name of the podcast. Um, definitely. That definitely rings a bell, sales scheme. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so Dan Engliter, he he wrote a book called uh, relationship sales at scale. And like I, I think that a lot of people are like tuning into this because like we've already identified we're tired of the same old salesy, you know, outreach. And so um, you, you titled this blog "2022: The Death of B2B Marketing." Where a couple months, you know, away from 2023, would you say that some of the things that you stated in the blog still, you know, remain true? And as we're approaching 2023, what are what's coming up? Like, what are some things mm-hmm. that B2B, you know, companies need to be looking out for? Is it is it rewriting their sequences? Is it creating and distributing more video? Um, is it resorting to, you know, direct snail mail? I love when I get yeah. those little personalized cards now. Um, is it doing, you know, <laughs> event? W- w- what's coming up and what should the B- owners, you know, be thinking about as you go into 2023 and beyond?
1: Yeah, it's something that we, we've we been thinking about a lot this year. And uh, first thing is that, no, I don't think the the problem's been fixed this year. I think we still got this. We're still seeing this problem. The fact that you, are, you and I are talking about, the amount of cold emails we get, cold calls, and all that stuff, and it's still it's still not right. There's still a problem there. And I think if we look to B2C, I think we find answers. If we look at the B2C way that's shifted to online, it's much better transition going online. A lot of companies have found success in the B2C and switching online. I think it's because B2C captures the interest of individuals through brand and content. Um, and, but it's easy for them to do that when you're selling products, right? I think when you're selling B2B services, it's much more difficult to make that transition because, as I've said earlier, you're never going to remove the need for human interaction in a B2B sales process 99% of the time. So how do we do that? And I think the answer is content. But when what, what content, what does that mean? So let's take a st- step further back in terms of where things need to go next year. We've got... Um, we've got in the business a number of investors. And one of the, one of those investors had an advisor. And one of those advisors took on a confidential project at a big social platform recently. And that social platform is getting bombarded with lots of people messaging, DMing, and connecting and emailing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, so yeah, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn has got a big problem and that, that's why I think we, the, the death of B2 market is still very much a present thing. LinkedIn is testament to that, the, the way that LinkedIn is the platform right now. But how do LinkedIn change? Because the, the people are on the platform to network, to get data. That's what they're on there for, right? They're on there to get data and they're on there to hack the platform to a certain degree. But we stand against that because we think it's not the right way to do business and to treat your, you know, yeah. prospects. So the, the solution Is actually a step further back from content, from what tactic we use. Uh, It's actually what we call deep sales, and LinkedIn has started to pick up on this. We were talking about this about six months ago. Now, recently, LinkedIn have started talking about this as well. And you'll find, if you look into it, LinkedIn are starting to talk about hashtag deep sales. And what deep sales is? It's basically using the ABM methodology that I've talked about already. You know what data can we find out about those individuals where can we harness enough information to really create that human interaction that we're looking for from an online channel that's what deep sales is all about so it is about data and ai and understanding of insights so we're really looking to tap into that my conversation because we think that is the future of cold outreach it's not about whether i email you or send you a video or a gift it's about me knowing you at a point where i can tailor What I do to get the best response from you, make it really efficient for you to buy. So whether that's through a cold email, whether that's through um, an ad, it doesn't matter what the activity is. What matters is how we can use the content and understand how that how you engage with that content. And that's basically deep sales.
0: Now, now, Nick, this is something that you lead uh, uh, a podcast interview with. I I have so many questions about deep sales. this term and like i i have a love hate relationship with linkedin i mean i post a lot of content on linkedin um i'll, I'll answer and respond to comments but i'm yeah. rarely like in the communities i'm not really liking or engaging as much as i should mostly just due to time and sometimes i think you know are there any real people left on LinkedIn? Or is it all just a bunch of yeah. bots and automation sending out email or in-mail notifications? And so, um, oh, man, I wish we had more time, but I, <laughs> I, I want to know from your perspective, it, it it sounds like, you know, where where this is going with deep sales and correct me if I'm wrong, and where my conversation is going is you're trying to, you know, gather, you know, is it, is it trends and activity and, you know, usage of these individual users and using AI to deliver the right messages, kind of like what advertising is doing with remarketing and yeah. cookies?
1: Yeah, exactly. But really I think to-
0: there's
1: there's got to be an ethical, okay. there's got to be an ethical compliant element to all this, right? And we're very much about being uh, part of the solution, not part of the problem. And the problem would be not good use of data and being misused data being misused a lot and then lots of tactics mm-hmm. and, and gimmicks being used with with people to get trying to get responses which ultimately just creates bad bad brand reputation and just gets on people's nerves right it's like yeah. my four-year-old who wants an ice cream and all he does is keep saying can I have an ice cream can I have an ice cream and eventually he gets what he wants but you might not get the response he wants and that's what's happening with b2b right now so to answer the question without going into too much detail we're we're looking at that the technology behind what we would want to deliver through deep sales. What we're going to call that is, and this is half the press by the way, we're going to create a category around is it. called conversion journey management. That's where we're going to play in the deep sales space because it's a big industry. Sales enablement yeah. is a, is an eight billion dollar industry, it's only going to get bigger with all these problems. So conversion journey management means that from the big from the get-go, I understand my universe, who are my prospects. And then able to tap into data compli- in a compliant way to get more insights on them as individuals, what they're interested in, what sort of content they might want to best engage with, what their personality types are, you know, that all, that, all that information that you are, would need if we have a human conversation, we want to get that in advance, not to trick people or deceive them, but to make our co- content authentically stand out. Then the technology that we develop will then understand whether that's a cold email campaign, whether it's an ad, LinkedIn ads, or whatever it is we're running, we can see how that's then being uh, affected in terms of conversion. So ultimately we can see, well, actually this content, based on this individual, what we knew about them and the content we then used, was able to really effectively move towards conversion in a much better way than this particular piece of content for this for the same individual. So it's same principles, marketing principles, but on the sales side.
0: Yeah is it all you know looking at content and their um, activity around that are you running paid ads and doing surveys because I know if, if we're talking about Facebook or, or meta right you you have you've given them all your information they know all your movie you know favorites they know all your book themes they know where you like to eat where you like to dine um, dine out yeah. or you know your your favorite hotel chain like they have all that information I don't know if LinkedIn, has all that information No, we don't want to go down
1: that route I think that's the bit where it gets creepy right, where it gets very creepy so from our perspective what we would want to know what you or I would want to know right, if we're talking to you in a sales conversation now is what can I understand about you before I speak to you that gives me an opportunity to make what I'm saying relevant how can I make sure that what I'm delivering to you is on the right wavelength in terms of your personality type and how can I really start the conversation off on the right foot so it's it's taking some of those ABM principles, right? That research that that enterprise level AE might be doing right now is looking at your LinkedIn profile if you're the prospect, and looking at what can I what can I gather about you that's available to make sure that what I then send to you, whether that's an email, whether that's some kind of video, whatever it is, or direct mail, what can I do to make sure that that lands is relevant, specific, and authentically gets your attention. So. So whether we do that, whether we whether we put that into a uh, cold outreach or an ad campaign, the, the, the point of it is, is knowing all that information is what's going to get us the best uh, conversion, wh- regardless of what channel we deploy it in. So we're less thinking about the channels. We're more thinking about actually giving um, sales teams and business development teams the insights to be able to effectively optimize their content. To create better conversions off the back end, so they could plug this into a cold email campaign or into a LinkedIn advertising campaign, regardless. So obviously, we need to be part of that ecosystem. Our technology needs to sit in the ecosystem with HubSpot, with data platforms, with LinkedIn. It basically needs to sit right in the middle of all of that to do what it needs to do.
0: We we could have spent the entire podcast talking about just that. I have so many questions, (laughs) but. Um, I'd love to hear about, you know, where that goes. Um, We we do have got to wrap it up though. um, But on the tail end of this conversation, you know, we're talking deep sales and conversion journey management, you know, what are some ethical ways or, you know, sorry, ethical tools um, and ways that we can use them, you know, in these platforms so that we can start having better conversations um, and building better relationships right now?
1: Yeah. So some of the tools that I would, um, promote to anyone who's just looking to do some of this stuff, but you know wants to do it in an efficient way within their role. Um, Lav, I don't know if you've heard of lavender. Lavender is a great free. It's free to use. It's a Chrome plugin. It doesn't interfere with LinkedIn. It's not one of those kind of tools at all. It's actually helping salespeople get better at their cold outreach by looking at everything they're doing. So if you if you write out a cold email right now on Gmail or Outlook. And as you're writing that out, Lavender is sat there and it's actually looking at what you're about to send. And based on all of the data it has, billions of emails that it's watching every day, and AI, it's able to tell you, actually, you should probably change this or you should simplify that. So going back to what we talked about at the start of the call. So it is a really great free tool. I use it, you know? So I, I, I think it's brilliant. That's the kind of technology we're, gonna, we're tapping into in this conversation. But Lavender, I'd say, for cold email type stuff, that's that's a brilliant tool and you can use it for linkedin
0: as well perfect okay and yeah like as you're saying lavender i've never heard of that one but i've heard of tools like that where you, yeah. you can like gather information but it's all just like you know um it's best guesses or like boilerplate information based on yeah. industry and trend so um interested to check out lavender um as we're closing things out here um where can people you know, get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Are you sharing any of this content anywhere online? What's your, what's your preferred channel for people to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, I think I'll, I'm on LinkedIn, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> we talked about that a lot. Um, I do still like LinkedIn as a platform. I'm on there, hang out on there. Uh, I, do, I do post occasionally um, as well on the themes that we talked about today, and I'm going to be doing a lot more of that as we move more into the category. I just mentioned this deep sales conversion journey management, which which is something that's going to be more and more present. So, yeah, LinkedIn, for sure, is a good place to, to catch me from a business perspective. Um, yeah. Or obviously, if anyone wants to talk to me, you know, I'm always hanging out on email as well.
0: Beautiful. Well, Nicholas, thanks for being on the show. Uh, we have Nicholas Hill, myconversation.ai. Really do appreciate your time today and you sharing uh, all this info with me in the audience. Thanks so much.
1: Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn
0: more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there. Hey, if you're enjoying the episode, I need to ask a favor. Would you just take a minute to go on iTunes leave a quick rating and review of the podcast? This helps the podcast get in front of other listeners just like you. Any help to get the word out is much appreciated. Thanks for listening.